Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Teaching Tactics Podcast. I'm Chris Bean and I'm joined by Chris Kent. Hello, Mr. Kent. Hello, sir. Today we're going to be diving into teaching virtual classes. Teaching virtual classes can be necessary to keeping your students on track in this day and age. Depending on your local area, you may have different restrictions and virtual classes may be the only way you can keep your doors open, so to say, uh, at this time. So having a protocol for teaching those virtual classes will be helpful to keep all of your team members on the same page. Virtual classes can be tough to teach and tough to follow along. Some keys for success in teaching a virtual class are making sure you nail the visual and audio aspect to your classes. These should be the highest things on your list. It doesn't matter how good of a teacher you are, or you are if your students can't see you or they can't hear you, the class is going to fall flat. So I would recommend setting up a test class. Give your, your system an opportunity to, to run, it, run it through its paces, right? You just check your video, check your audio, okay? Record a class, go back and play, okay? That's how it sounds, that's how it looks, okay? And then tweak those different things depending on how the class comes across. The, the worst thing you can do is to, to, you know, not have any prior knowledge about how to run the program. You hit record, the students are there in front of you, and, and you don't know how to turn the audio on for your microphone. And, and they, can, they can see you, and it looks like you're saying words, but they can't hear anything that you're saying. So run a couple test classes, right? Make some tweaks, some changes uh, along the way to make sure that they can see you and they can hear you. If that means you have lighting that you have then get those set up and, 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 and ordered or purchased or, or whatever so that's ready. If the microphone that you're using isn't, you know, if, if it sounds like you're talking like this, then maybe you need to, you need to change your audio so you actually hear or the, your students can actually hear what you're saying. If you have like a, a lavalier microphone and each time you move, they hear a bunch of as the as you're as you're trying to teach your class that would be something to, to you know to take a look at and change those things depending on uh, the feedback that you get from those test classes another reason tests are important too is because you might have some people telling you there's a problem but the problem is not on your end and it's on their end so having that test set up and knowing for a fact that your equipment works well and sounds good and looks good will help you deal with those issues when they inevitably come up. When someone says, oh, I can't hear you or I can't see you. Well, I know for a fact my stuff works. So we need to figure out how that, you know, how that works on their end too. So just being able to know that you are squared away helps you deal with those inevitable problems that will come up virtually as well. Yeah, you know, and, and if you're in a situation where you have to teach a virtual class, it's a situation that you have to teach a virtual class. It's not because you want to, because teaching virtual classes are not the same as teaching an in-person class. The level of instruction that you can give in an in-person class is vastly superior to what you can give on a virtual class. So if you're in a situation that you're teaching a virtual class, it's not because you want to. It's because you are put under, in a situation you have to teach a class in a virtual type setting. Now, once you get some things dialed in and you get some virtual classes under your belt, maybe you can set up some different options for your students that we're gonna talk about a little bit later to have those virtual classes or, or tournaments or events, but generally if you're teaching a virtual class, it's because you have to, not because you want to. So getting those things set and, and ready to go before the class starts is key. Now, if you have your phone set up that you're going to have that as your 
as your video and your phone is set up to do the audio, you may not get the best visual and audio experience. Your phone might be really good at taking pictures or, or doing video, but it probably isn't gonna catch the audio very well, or it's gonna catch the audio too well and you're gonna get a lot of extra room noise, static, background, whatever is, else is going on in the area that you're in that's gonna be not beneficial for your students. It's gonna make them hard, it's gonna make it hard for them to hear what you're actually asking them to do. Now, if you're teaching a virtual class and you wanna have music involved in that virtual class, again, put that through its paces, test those things. Because the worst thing you can do is you hit play on the, on the music and the students can hear the music great, but they can't hear you at all. Right? So you want to have to have, to have a, a, a back and forth with that. If you have the music going, have it play in such a way that they can still hear you when you need to be heard. And then if you don't have the music going, you need to have some other way to keep that energy high during the class. Also keep in mind the space you're using and what shows up on your screen and what doesn't. Because if you're teaching that class and you're demonstrating moves and they can't see a quarter of your body or half of your body, they can't see your feet, they can't see your hands, uh, it's going to be very hard for them to understand and to learn that material, especially because you know that visual and um, demonstration is an important part of teaching. So if, you're not, if they're not able to see you, uh, let alone hear you, it's going to be hard for them to follow along and, and do what you want them to do. So along with the audio, having the audio squared away, make sure you know the space you have, um, not only to perform in or to, to move around in, but also what portion of that space can be seen and, 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 and what parts you can use. Because I could set up a camera in this room, and it's a huge room, but you're probably only going to see like 20 or 30 percent of that room. So I got to know what 20 or 30 percent of that room that is, is available for me to use. That way they are also getting not only good sound uh, and good audio, but also the good visual and the good pictures of you actually doing what you're what you're doing and that way they can see that and follow along yeah and, and you know that brings up an interesting point is moving around specifically for audio if you have a microphone like the mics that we are using right now they sound great i really enjoy the way they sound but if we were to use these in a virtual class where we're moving around if i'm like this you're not going to be able to hear me very well. And, in, and to have a situation where you have to come up to the microphone and talk each time you want to say something to the students, and then you move away to watch, and then you're going back and forth, that's, that's terrible. That's terrible. So have a microphone that in your area that you're in, they can hear you at. Whether you're on this end or that, wherever you are, they can hear you. So having a, a lavalier microphone, a little microphone that attaches to your, to your shirt or your uniform, is a great way to do that. Just be mindful that you don't get a lot of uh, feedback from your shirt or your, your uniform moving around with that. With audio, there's a couple different types of microphones. You have a dynamic microphone, which is similar to the, actually is the microphone that we're using. They're dynamic microphones. You have a condenser microphone. A condenser microphone will be uh, really what you'd want because that would be good at picking up um, small sounds throughout the room. Of course, that'll be something you know, you'll have to kind of play with and make, make sure that your room is relatively quiet because otherwise those noises will be picked up as well. But a dynamic microphone is one like, again, that we're using. And if I talk right in the front of it, you can hear me really well. But if I talk and I move my head around to the other side of the microphone, you can't hear me as well as if I talk right in front of the microphone. Um, and for you guys that were on video, you can see what I did, but I just moved my head to the other side of the microphone. You can hear me really well here, but if I move on this side, you can't. So 
having a microphone that is dedicated for audio will be greatly beneficial than what you have in your in your phone or what you have in the the standard webcam that you're using and you can get all of those in a in a usb fashion so to plug in it'll work with with zoom or whatever uh, meeting virtual meeting software that you're using uh, we use zoom when we do virtual classes and for a camera of course you'll want you want to get something that can get a wide enough picture that you are in frame. Now, that would be another variable to play with. If you have a gigantic training room that you can be in, that's great for you. You can move around and, and you have ample space. But understand that your students at home are going to be in a living room with you know a couch and, and, and sofa table in front of them. They're, they're not going to have that much room. So setting up a area similar to what your students has or have at home will be beneficial so that you are doing moves and demonstrating those moves in such a way that you can do it in your relatively small space or the small space that you dedicated to this and your students can do that as well because if you're doing huge moves where you got to run and jump and your students aren't going to be able to do that at home inside their their living room or or you know in their in their basement along with that if you're doing uh, um, self-defense moves and, and you know you are working on doing a throw, a hip toss or something, understand that you know you probably shouldn't have you know 13-year-old Johnny throwing mom on the ground in the basement at their house. Not quite the same setup that you have here, where somebody is trained on how to fall and you have pads out or you have you know uh, padding on on your flooring to do those takedowns. So understand that you're going to have to make some tweaks to the way your classes run so that they can actually pick up and do those things at home in such a way that nobody's getting hurt, right? That you'll have to just have some basic understanding that, oh, hey, look at, I can see out of my, you know, 15 people I have on screen, he's in the basement, he's in the basement, that guy's outside, he can actually run around, but nobody else can. So understand that the space requirement that they have is, is, is vastly different from everybody and the space requirement that you have, you wanna to try to mimic what they have so that you're not asking too much of them just on a spatial uh, difference. Understand that the first few minutes of a virtual class is gonna be set up to, to, you know, you can have that small interaction with the students. You know, those that know and, and how to use, they know how to use the system, they know how to get the video set up, the audio set up, but you might have to have like a, a sign made up and, and, you know, hey, push the, you know, of course I'm, I'm speaking it so you can hear me, but the sign reads, push the audio button to accept audio or whatever the, whatever the verbiage is on the, again, on the app that you're using. And having a sign to do that will be the only way to do that because if they don't have audio turned on, it doesn't matter what words you're saying that to them. They can't hear you unless you have something that you can type to them back and forth. They're not going to be able to understand what you're saying. So having, you know, a sign to, hey, you know, with an arrow, push this button right here for the audio. And again, that comes with testing because you have to know what it looks like on their side. Along with this is, is the, the somewhat confusing aspect of flipping your camera, right? So in your software that you're using, again, we, we use Zoom. I, I think almost most people use Zoom unless you're using, was it Google, Google Hangout? But I would imagine that that has some similar type aspects to it. But flipping your camera. If you know that your camera is flipped, 
great and you know how to interact with that, wonderful. But if you don't know if it is or, or how that comes across on their side, you, you're going to need to find that out. Um, because in class, if I raise my left hand and I tell them to mirror me, they're going to be raising their right hand and vice versa on the other side. So teaching, I know what that looks like. I know what it is like to be on the other side of, of you know, in the class. On screen, you're going to want to know what that's like because otherwise you're going to be teaching the moves and think that they're coming across the right way, but they're all doing them backwards just because that's how the video is set up. So definitely, and this comes along with the testing, right? Teach a class and then go back and watch it. Check the audio, check the visual, check, oh man, I actually did all of those things backwards because I thought the, I thought the camera was mirrored and it wasn't mirrored or it was mirrored and I didn't think it was. Figure that out. Play with those things. And, and I'll tell you what, we taught, we taught a, a load of virtual classes during, during COVID. For a while, we didn't do the, the camera flip. And so what that meant was, as I was teaching a form, for example, I had to teach the form. I was doing the form backwards so they could do it front ways if they were facing me. And then if they were facing away from me, I had to do it the regular way, not the mirrored version. And it's, it would be the same thing as if, it, if the camera was flipped, it would just be the opposite for that. But knowing that and then being able to adapt to those situations is certainly important. And I'll I'll as funny as it sounds, uh, I'll tell you what, I, I was somewhat proud of the fact that I could do my forms half backwards and half front ways, front ways and switch when I needed to because they, had, they turned. That was, I liked that I was able to adapt to those situations so that I could teach a class, whether it was an in-person class, it was a virtual class, I had to do them half backwards and half front ways. Listen, I'm going to make sure that I know this stuff and I know how to get it to you so that you can learn this. I did my homework. I, I watched myself teach the classes and figured out, okay, I got to do this backwards. Okay, this has actually got to be regular. Play with those different things. Understand what that looks like for your students because if not, you're not going to be able to deliver the information in a correct fashion for them to learn the information. So understand how that looks on their end so that you can better teach and lead them. This all ties back into how we started this episode talking about uh, preparing yourself and knowing your setup. So you get the audio set up, you get the, the video set up, and then you have to know your software. So like you said, for us, we use Zoom. And um, at this point in time, we are well-versed in Zoom because we, we know how it works. But depending on what you're using, you need to know not only on the software side, um, but also on how the students interact with it. So for example, you need to know how to get them information to log into the meeting. Um, you know, whether that you have that through a different system or you have a way to send out information so they can get their um, logins and they can get to their class on time, uh, just let them know um, when to expect that information. So be sure to give them a time to receive um, what they need and get ready for their class. And if you have lots of classes, be sure to account for the time uh, in between or the time during that the next class is getting their information to get set up before um, the one class you're in ends. Um, and just making sure that, that you use a password, uh, again, depending on what software you use, but you don't want random people finding your meeting and joining in the middle of your meeting. So have that a, a password-protected meeting. That way only your students with the link, with the information, can join and be part of that class, be part of what's going on. And then uh, on top of that, when they join their class, you want to make sure that everyone has um, an appropriate and um, truthful name attached to who they are because 
there may be some people you can see and recognize by by their face and know what their name is. But if it's someone's first class uh, and all you have is a name to go off of and they join the meeting and it says mom's iPhone or, uh, you know, this family's iPad or whatever it is, um, it's going to be hard for you to identify and interact with that new student specifically. But then again, across the board, you want everyone to have an appropriate name. Of course, you don't want someone to have some name like Mr. Poopy Pants or something, um, because you're not going to be able to call them out in the middle of the class and, and maintain control of your class. Uh, but again, to have, make sure they have the appropriate name. And then, well, and, and a small note on that: there's been times where I'm teaching a virtual class and I have Johnny on the screen. And I know his name is Johnny, but the name, for whatever reason, is Jackson. And like, man, in my head, I'm thinking, have I been calling? Johnny, the wrong name this entire time. He's, you know, he's been here, been training here for, for a year and a half. And I've been t- telling him the wrong name. And so I'll, I'll, I'll think I was at fault in saying the wrong name this whole time. And I'll say the name that's on the screen. Jackson. Ja- hey, Jackson. 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 Jack. Jonathan. Oh, okay. Well, I was right the whole time. And I, I and so just because, you, you know, I, I know what that kid's name is, but they put a different name in, you know, in, in where the name goes. And I'll think, oh man, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I've been calling him the wrong name. And I'll see that. And I'll just, I'll call him by the name that's up, up there on the screen thinking I've been wrong and it, it's, it's the wrong thing. So definitely, like you said, making sure your students actually put their own truthful, actual name in there for that meeting so you can help them and, and identify them and, and communicate with them. Because I'll tell you what, that is, that's definitely tough, especially because, you know, at home, they don't know if they're, if you're talking to them or, or anybody else that's in the class, or they don't even know at times who, however many people are in the class, how, how many uh, other people are in the class. And so you are just talking and they don't know necessarily if you're talking to them or not. So being able to call them by name and their actual truthful, actual name certainly is important. Yes. Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. And it doesn't hurt. You know, especially maybe in your beginner's class, when you have the potential for more new students to be uh, around or at the beginning of a quarter when people are just starting to interact with the virtual things. Maybe every class at the beginning, you just say, hey, you know, we're going to take a few minutes here, number one, to make sure everyone gets in, gets their things all set up. And then while we're doing that, make sure you put the right name. You might have to say that for the first few classes, whatever it is, or every time in that beginner's class. That way you know that everyone has the proper and appropriate name and you can call them correctly. And going back to the the cameras and the flipping of the cameras too, I know that we have one instructor, whenever they do a virtual lesson, they start it by saying, you know, I'm gonna raise my left hand and make sure that this looks like my left hand. If it doesn't, let me know. I can flip my camera or make sure on the same page. And they always check to make sure that they have the camera faced appropriately. So however they're going to perform the moves, they know that their students are seeing what they want them to see. Um, so there's no shame or no harm in checking not only the names, but also the camera flip too. Um, and, and that can be helpful to you because then you you know what you need to do to best relay the information and make sure they're actually seeing what you want them to see during those times. And uh, again, talking about the software, you need to make sure that it will do and is capable of doing what you want it to do. So for example, I know Zoom, um, on a free plan or a free login or whatnot, if you're hosting a meeting, it only lasts for a certain amount of time. So if you have an hour long class and the meeting only lasts for 45 minutes, well, you don't want that meeting and that class to stop abruptly at 45 minutes. You have to log into a new meeting, start new things and reset everything over again. So you wanna make sure if you need to pay for a subscription or pay for an account or pay for special um, features, 
in your system that that is done and taken care of because you don't want that class to end abruptly. You don't want things to go wrong or you don't want to say, oh, you've reached your, your limit for minutes of meetings for this month. Well, this is class number two of a eight class quarter and I'm out of meetings. I, I can't run a meeting anymore, you know? So know the limits of your system. And then on top of that too, make sure that uh, just another facet to that is that it can actually handle the amount of people you have coming in. So for example, if you're in your studio and your studio has poor internet connection, well, number one, your video and your audio might be choppy and look bad to your students. They're not going to see what's happening. Or number two, maybe, you know, you can't handle 25 people in a class. Well, you might have some classes that have 25 people on the class and being able to see and handle and run everything properly is also important. So, you know, unfortunately, if you're in this position where you have to run a virtual class, thinking about your internet and thinking about the screen that you look at to see the students. Like if you're trying to watch a class of 25 students on your tablet, your iPad or a phone or something, they're going to be as small as little ants on their screen. And I can't tell if, if, if Jonathan's using his left hand or his right hand, or if, if Sally's even paying attention or if someone's running, you know, you need to be able to actually see what's happening on their screens as well. So I know something that we would do for virtual classes is we just get a gigantic flat screen TV. We hook an HDMI from our computer into the TV, and then we can see a much bigger display of what's happening. That way we can actually see their, their feet and their hands and see their facial expressions and, and actually be able to interact with them appropriately. Uh, and, and it's very helpful when I can actually see what you're doing and then be able to uh, uh, interact with you that way. But if it goes back into the setup, make sure you have you know a good way to see them. Make sure your internet is, is capable of handling those meetings and running it so that usually if there's a problem, it's not your problem. Again, it goes back to the video and audio thing. If I know my, my microphone works good, I know my camera works good, I know my internet is good, well, then when you're having problems, I don't have to second guess myself or think about what's happening with me. I can say, hey, you need to turn your microphone on or you need to turn your camera on or maybe your internet's slow. We're going to wait a second as it buffers or it loads or whatever. And don't get me wrong, there's some times where it's going to happen. You know, worst case scenario and the most frightening thing is that you have to run a virtual class and then your power your power goes out, which is out of your control. You can't control the electricity grid. Um, but you know, what are you going to do? Or are you best set up to stop that from um, throwing out your whole night? And you know, again, some things are out of your control. I can't help if if James has a terrible internet connection. Well, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, and he's going to see what he's going to see, and I, there's nothing I can do about that. So again. Just be prepared for those setbacks as well. But a way to kind of mitigate that and be prepared for that is to know your setup, set yourself up as best as you can to deal with those issues and, and be able to present yourself virtually as best as you can. Knowing your system, having the good camera, good microphone, good internet, all those things, knowing your space, having a good room or, or area to do that uh, is going to, again, not make sure that none of those problems happen, but it's going to make it much less likely and then also set you up good or well to kind of stop some of that stuff from happening. Yeah, you know, when you're teaching a virtual class, one thing that, of course, you're going to want to check in on is your lesson plan. You perhaps will need to alter your lesson plan for a virtual class due to space requirements or partners. Now, on partners, on, on, on a, you know, in a class, you know, okay, everybody find a partner and, and we're going to work some self-defense or some, you know, application for your form or whatever it is. In class, that's easy. No problem, right? You know, it takes a few seconds, they get a partner and then they go, they go to work, they start doing it. At home, 
you perhaps will need to tell them, hey, listen, guys, next time we come together, we're going to do some partner drills. So if you can have a partner, mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, cousin, somebody that is there physically with you to do these moves with will be super helpful. Now, if you don't have a partner or can't have one available, it's okay. Still come to class. We'll, we'll, we'll do our best. But ideally, if you can have somebody to do these moves on, would be great. So letting them know ahead of time is definitely first and foremost, you know, the first step to do. Now, you come to the class and you see, you know, some of them have partners, some of them don't have partners. Teach what you're going to teach. Okay, if you have a partner, great. You're going to do this with your partner. They'll grab you or, you know, whatever the defense is. If you don't have a partner, you're going to have to imagine that they're grabbing you and try to go through those motions. Now, I can tell you from experience, those students that don't have a partner are tough. And here's why. Because they're at home you know, wherever they live on the other side of the screen, trying to imagine their partner grabbing them in doing some move. And then I'm at the karate school trying to imagine them imagining their partner attacking them. As you can imagine, that is a challenge. Absolutely tough. Because I, I can't actually, I, they, can, they don't have somebody there in front of them. They're pretending somebody's grabbing them. I'm pretending they're pretending they're, somebody's grabbing them. It's just, that's a really tough situation. So if you can set that up in such a way that everybody, listen, guys, everybody, you're going to need to have somebody to do these things with next time you come, right? Set that up ahead of time because, you know, midway through class, you're like, man, okay, I'm done. There's still, oh my gosh, there's 20 minutes of class still left. All right, you know, we're going to do some self-defense and partner stuff. Oh man, they're at home. They don't have partners. Okay, well, let's let's just imagine you you have a partner and then you have to, you know, especially if it's a new move. If you're trying to teach a new move to somebody that doesn't actually have a, a, a person there to physically grab or attack them, that is really, really tough. And then on top of that, if you yourself, you know, at the karate school are trying to teach a, a partner move without a partner, that's tough as well because then your students have to imagine you imagining it's that whole situation over again, but it's on their end. So, if you're going to have to, if you're going to have your students try to have a partner for the, that class or for the next class or whatever, make sure you yourself also have somebody that you can do these with in a partner type fashion so that they can see what that looks like. Because otherwise they're going to be in the same boat you are trying to imagine them imagining their partner, imagining it's too much, too much, right? Have somebody there physically to do the moves with. And then hopefully they have somebody there physically to do the moves on because that's tough. That's tough. Yeah, I will say, as much as this is frustrating, um, it also gives us a chance to improve and work on uh, different ways that we can communicate. So, for example, when you're in class teaching these moves, it's very easy to walk over to a student and physically move their body to where it needs to be and, and actually place it where it, needs to, where it needs to be. But virtually, I don't have that option. I can't go over and kinesthetically teach you this, this move. I have to use uh, my visuals and I have to use... Um, you know, the auditory and my words to help you understand these things. So I will say personally, I've had, I've had to come up with and think about and develop different ways of explaining things. And there's been, been ways that I've, I've had to explain moves or show them that I've never had to before because I wasn't in this position. So I will say that practicing or, or doing classes this way as tough and as frustrating as it can be, uh, if you look at it as a way to develop and build yourself um, up in those those areas you may be weak in, it's a great learning and great growing opportunity for you as a teacher and as an instructor to be able to strengthen those auditory and uh, visual 
demonstration skills or, or teaching skills that maybe you don't always rely on as much as you as you would have to in that virtual setting. So uh, again, as tough as it is, I'm not saying it's it's the total bright side, but if you look at it this way, it's going to make you better at doing those two things and it's going to give you more analogies and more ways of describing and more ways of showing and demonstrating that again, it's just going to help you make you better. It's going it's, it's to help make you better uh, as an instructor in, in the bigger picture and overall. When you're teaching virtual classes, if you have, let's say, 25 people in the, in, the, in the meeting, the room there with you, virtual, in the virtual room there with you, um, be sure that you have, you know, it does, I guess 25 doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many students you have. Put them all on mute and make sure they are not able to unmute themselves. Because anytime, again, for us, we use Zoom. This is how Zoom works. Anytime that person is unmuted and starts talking, the camera will shift and switch to them, which means you're in the middle of teaching a class and they unmute themselves. Hey, sir, can I, I have to go to the bathroom. Can I go to potty? And then everybody sees that kid asked if he can go to the bathroom in his own house. Yes, you can go to the bathroom. You're in your own house. Please go to the bathroom. Then you have to mute them and then get the whole thing back. It's, it's put everybody on mute and in, in, if you can make it so they can, they're not allowed. They don't have the option or the availability to unmute themselves because, uh, sure enough, they will. And sure enough, it will be at the worst possible time, mid explanation or whatever it is that you're doing that will happen. And, and the camera will, will shift to them. You're, you know, okay, all right, guys, let's do your move. And everybody's like, well, we couldn't, I don't know what you did because we just saw John asked if he can go to the bathroom instead of whatever move you were doing. So, figure that out. Make sure that, you know, that that is, is taken away from them. If they want to talk to you, there's a, there's a function they can raise their hand or they can, they have a chat. They can type. Now, a note on the chat. We had, especially early on teaching virtual classes, the, the students were comfortable with using Zoom as the, as the software to interact with people. And they were texting, typing back and forth. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm, sure. Yep. Yeah, okay. Texting, typing, typing, typing. And some students would just stand at the keyboard typing or ready to type the whole class and not actually out and about and moving around. So for a length of time, we had to cut the chat off as well. So we made it so they couldn't, uh, automatically, or they couldn't, uh, they didn't have the option to unmute themselves. And we took away the, uh, chat or the text, the typing back and forth option, because they just, they were abusing it. They were just standing there typing back and forth and not actually doing the moves. So we made it. Okay. Listen, if you want to say something, you get, listen, we, and, and frequently I would start the class. Listen, if you have to go to the bathroom, you're in your own house, just go to the bathroom. It's going to take more time for you to, you know, unmute yourself or for me to unmute you and say, Hey, can I go to the bathroom? And then, yes, you can go to the bathroom, and then I have to try to get the class back and un unmute and get the camera back on me. No, listen, you're in your own house. If you have to go to the bathroom, just go to the bathroom. I'll assume if I, if I don't see it for a few minutes, you're in the bathroom, and you're going to come back eventually. And that's how I would start class. And, you know, once, once uh, you know, pretty well everybody got the hang of that, that was done. No problem. If you have a question or you have something, you know, you're not quite sure you need to see it again, then, you know, push the raise your hand button or come to the front of the screen and wave your hand in front of the camera so that I can only just see your hand waving in front of the camera. And, and then sure enough, I would be like, oh, hey, they must need something. Let me unmute them and talk to them and see what's going on. Great. That's a, that's a wonderful way to do it. Now, all that being said, 
you're teaching a class that has, let's say, 25 students in that virtual class. In person, those 25 people, you can teach, you have energy, they give you energy, you give them some energy, it's a give and take. Man, wild, awesome, fun class. In a virtual class, it's you trying to motivate a TV screen to get up and move around and do things because you can't hear them. You can't feel their energy. You just see them. And that is really, really tough. And, and to be frank, really draining on, on whoever's teaching that class. So if you have a night of classes and you have the availability to have the instructor shift or switch and change or at least have another person there with them, by all means, do that. Do that because teaching, you know, virtual classes for a week or a month or six months and you're the and it's just one one person teaching all those classes is incredibly draining because you show up you got to be live and, and on fire and, and energetic and your your clients your students they they can't give you anything because you can't hear them you can see them you know a small little version of them but you can't actually feel their energy you have to give their energy and you have to continue to give the energy and give energy and then all right, that class is done. Let's do the next one. Give energy, give energy, give energy. And if you're that type of person, you have that much energy, awesome. More the power to you. I taught virtual classes for a length of time. By the end of the night, I would come home and I was, I was wiped. I am not a crazy high energy type of person. And so to come to class and, and, and teach in a physical class where I can give some energy and they give some energy, that's fine. I can do that. No problem. But in a situation where I'm, I'm talking and, and, and trying to get that TV screen to get up and move around and jump and, and move and do, whoo, man, I tell you what, I was, I was spent, spent at the end of the night just because the amount of energy that I was trying to give through the night was, was tough, much higher than teaching a regular physical in-person class. Now, all that being said, you do adapt. You, you, know, you get some, uh, some tricks under your sleeve to kind of help to motivate and get them to, to move and, and, and get up and be active, but it's tough. And on top of that, it's tough because at home, they have all kinds of distractions. They could be having you know, a, a virtual class with you. Well, at least it looks like they're doing a virtual class with you, but really they're watching TV uh, on the TV that's behind the camera in front of you. They look like they're standing there paying attention to you, but they're watching TV behind you and you can't tell, you have no idea. So all of those are different things you have to combat and come up with uh, creative ways to, to get around. And I know frequently I would do this. I, don't, I, don't, I, I think you might've done this a couple of times, although I'd, maybe not. Um, you know, in class, we'd say, yes, sir. Oh, that wasn't loud enough. Do it again, be loud. Yes, sir. And so on screen, I, they know I can't hear them. I know I can't hear them, but I would say, all right, let's do this. Yes, sir. And, you know, I, I could, you know, whatever, whatever they said or however it looked like they sounded, I have no idea what they actually sounded like. But what? That wasn't loud enough. Try again. Can you be louder? Yes, sir. And I, I had to do all of that and pretend that they were following along or hope that they were following along and actually being loud. It, it's kind of, kind of like you, you I, I, for whatever reason, I envisioned myself being like Dora the Explorer, trying to get the kids at home doing the, the things that, that she was trying to do. And if you don't understand what that means, that's okay. But um, it, it just, it, it 
brings your teaching into a different light and, and shines a light on different aspects of your teaching that certainly gives you the opportunity to grow if you can realize that and, and use it as a learning experience and not as a, man, I got to teach a virtual, I, man, teach him virtual, it's not, you know, whatever. Just use it as a growing experience. Try to learn and better yourself and then better your students from that experience. Part of it is accepting what you can and cannot control and what you can and cannot do. So, for example, like you were saying, you can try as hard as you want to get them to be loud and say these words, but at the end of the day, you have no idea if they're, like, they could just be mouthing the word, and it just looks like they're yelling super loud, but you have no clue. So, speaking of that example, whenever we, whenever I would lead our terminology, our sayings and stuff, I know I'm not going to be able to hear them, but I can't not do that because it's an integral part of their their curriculum of their their teaching and their their lesson plan so what i would do is i would say listen i'm going to say this i would advise you to say it with me that way you're still getting the repetition and still hearing it and still practicing it so when it comes time to do it yourself to pass your test you know what to say now am i going to know whether you say it or not no but i will know when it comes time for your test if you've been practicing or not because you'll either know it or you won't so i'll say this i won't be able to hear you but say along with me that way you get the repetition in and that kind of puts the onus and puts the responsibility on them because it's up to them whether they want to train or not. Of course, I want them to. Of course, I want to be able to make them to or make them train. But again, there's no way for me to know whether they're saying it or not, whether they're just mouthing the words or whether they're just saying the alphabet so it looks like they're saying the words or not. I can't control that. But again, I can put that responsibility on them. So it has and they, they understand the implications of, of not training. And again, I think it will make... As hard as virtual class is, like Mr. Bean was talking about, trying to control everything and be in charge of everything and stop people from messing around and not paying attention and, and doing better, once you kind of step back a little bit and, like I had said, let it be what it is, not completely lose interest and not try it all, at all, but understand that there are some things you're not going to be able to change and there are some people that aren't going to pay attention. There are some some moves that just aren't going to look as good as they would in person because of the setting. Once you kind of take a step back and understand that, I think it makes it a whole lot easier because if you're trying to teach and get them to perform to the same level they could in person right in front of you, you're just not going to get there virtually. You're, it's not going to be the same. And accepting that and understanding that and working with that, I think, is a huge part of being able to teach these lessons long term, but then also not stress and not be as drained and not be as overwhelmed um, when you just understand that it's not going to be what you are used to uh, in a one-on-one in -on -one or an, uh, uh, in an in-person setting. Um, and, you know, that's unfortunate. As I think that's kind of the undertone of this whole episode as well, is that virtual classes are not ideal. Uh, if we can avoid virtual classes, by all means, I, I would be happy to never, ever, ever teach a virtual class again. However, as recent years have shown in the pandemic that we went through, we wouldn't be here if we hadn't done that. Our, our karate school would not exist because people couldn't come to us. They couldn't come train. They couldn't come take lessons. We just straight up would not have a business if we hadn't been able to do that. And, and, and if we're being honest, we still have some students that will do a virtual private lesson because of whatever reason. And if we didn't offer that option or have that option, we'd be out that one student or 50 students or all of our students. So it's something that, again, as, as unfortunate and as tough as it is, it was a necessity at one point in time. And we had to go through it and we had to fail and learn and 
adapt and change and, and completely develop this, well, not completely develop, but basically had to develop a way to run these virtual classes and how we thought was best and how it worked best for us and for our students. And now, again, like I said, as much as I'd never, ever, ever want to do this ever again, now we know how to do it. So if something else comes up in the future, we have the skill set, we have the ability, you have the protocols, the system in place, boom, we can switch, we can go virtual, we can do a virtual class. Or, you know, we have a student that uh, can't make it for whatever reason. Like we, we have that option now. So not only has it made us better as instructors, I think it's also given us another tool in our toolbox as a martial arts school to be able to service more people or service our clients better. And it just it gave us that other option that we were able to use. So um, as tough and as hard as it can be, we went through the process and we developed it as best as we could. And I would uh, very arrogantly say that we're good at it. We're good at doing these virtual classes now. And the fact that we had students that have gone virtual and that were, were students that were in person spent the however long we were virtual are now back in person and they're still with us. I think also speaks to the fact that we were able to do something right, not only as a martial arts school, but also being able to adapt virtually that you know, it's not ideal, it's not fun, but it was a necessity and we rose to the challenge and, and did the best that we absolutely could and it's paid off. Um, so again, it's just another tool, another thing that we have that we can use to service our students, service our clients and, you know, our whole idea is to keep a student first mindset. And if I would have thought about myself a lot of those days, the virtual class wouldn't have, would have been canceled. I wouldn't have been there or I would have given it half of my effort or half of my attention, but understanding that this is for them to service them as best as we can, not only in person, but in that virtual setting too, that help us to push through. And then, like I said, now we have that extra thing that we can offer to people when we need to, or when it's, 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 it's called for. You know, teaching a virtual class is, is so much different than a physical class. If you're teaching a physical class and you, let's say you're having your students go through partner work, that means Partner number one is doing the move for X amount of time, and then partner number two has to do the move for X amount of time. At home, everybody is doing the move all at one time. On top of that, any time that you are trying to rearrange the students or get them set up or move to a different area, okay, none of that happens at, at home. And so when you're teaching, it, let's say, a 45-minute virtual class, I would say plan for about an hour of, of material. Have some extra repetitions thrown in there. Put in some extra exercises, some extra workouts to do. Because while they're here physically, they're getting, I would say arguably, more movement than they're getting at home. And so giving them that extra movement, those extra exercises at home will help to feel, give them the feeling that they have the full rounded out class that they would get when they are physically here. So understand again that time, the time of the class, the length of the class is going to, you know, 45 minutes is going to be 45 minutes, but it's not going to, it's not going to feel the same, right? You're going to, it's, you're going to have 15 minutes extra. You're like, okay, all right, we're done. Oh man, there's, there's still 15 minutes of class left. I have to, I have to change something. Because it's not, it's not going to be the same. You're going to have to come up with extra material to do to cover those extra times that they're, you know, the other partner is doing something or you're, you know, you're having them move up and down the floor or whatever it is because they can't do those things at home. It's a great opportunity to expand your drills and skills because some of the drills and skills you rely on 
in person are not possible in virtual. You can't use those ones. So you have to come up with new ones that will work virtually and then see if they can transfer over. When you go back to in person or you are in person, can you do some of those same things again? Um, and it, again, not ideal and not fun. Takes some some effort and some some thought, but you're once you know once more are expanding your drills and skills repertoire. You're you're building that armory of drills and skills that you can use, um, and then making you better as a team and as as an instructor too. Yeah, you know, and, and speaking to that, one thing that you can do again this depends on on the software that you're that you're using. Again, we had Zoom. Zoom had this opportunity to spotlight somebody, so I could show everybody. Johnny, who did this move, excellent. All right, guys, listen, we're going to watch Johnny do this move. All right, Johnny, ready? All right, I put you on it so everybody can see you, man. Let's do it, man. Ready, go. They can hear me, but they can all see him. And then that gives me the opportunity to spotlight more people, and that gives everybody the incentive to be motivated and do well so they can also be spotlighted. Not to mention that takes extra time to do those things, which will help to fill out the time that you have for your class. On top of that, another fun activity that you can do is, again, this will be like a you know, five or two minute filler type thing. All right, hey, listen guys, we're gonna have a little bit of a break here. What we're gonna do is I need everybody to run, not, don't go yet, just listen. I need, when I say go, everybody's gonna go to your bedroom, grab your pillow and bring it back to the screen. Ready, go! And so they would run around their house, wherever their bedroom is, unless they're already there, and boom, okay, there's your pillow. Okay, and then you know, they do something else. Okay, all right, now ready? When I say go, you're going to go put the pillow back. Go! And they got to run and put the pillow back. Or maybe they got to run and touch the refrigerator or, you know, whatever it is. But come up with different ways they can move around in their own house as opposed to just being stuck in that, that small little square section that they're in. Another thing that you can do is bring in tools that they have at home already. All right, listen, hey guys, for next class, everybody's going to need a kitchen chair and we're going to use this kitchen chair to do, you know, these different exercises, different kicking drills, or, you know, you're going to need to be by a couch so you can do this or kick over it or whatever it is, but bring some of those things that, you know, they would have at home already. Just everybody has a, a kitchen chair or everybody has a couch or a chair or something like that at home that they can kind of set up around or bring into their, into their virtual settings so they can use that for your class. They're not going to have pads or, or kicking, kicking things, you know, wave masters or, or air shields or, you know, hand targeting. Perhaps not everybody's going to have those. Okay, so what do they have? They have pillows, they have chairs, they have tables, you know, those different things and bring those into your class to help those, those exercises, those classes be more thought out. Right. Use those different tools that they already have that they can now. Now, listen, guys, hey, you have these chairs and stuff at home all the time. So I'm going to give you some homework and I want you to practice doing this kick over this chair. Okay, we just did it in class. You got at home, I want you to do that five times on your on your right side and maybe ten times on your left side, because you know that one needs a little bit more work than your right side. Okay? All right, that's it, guys. Bye. Practice that kick, right? And then they have some homework that they can have, they can use at home because they have those kicks or they have those 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 chairs or the table or whatever it is already there at their house. Not to mention mom and dad hopefully is listening there and they can hear that and then that will incentivize them to have the student practice in that type of setting because they could see the, how well that worked for you. All of those are extra tools and tips that you can use to bring life into your virtual classes. Now, virtual classes don't necessarily have to be specific for classes. You can do events. Frequently, we've done a scavenger hunt. 
we do a, like a, a Christmas scavenger hunt. And even, even outside of, of COVID time, right, towards the end here, we were closed for Christmas break, but yet we still set up a virtual scavenger hunt where the students signed on at home and, and we had a list. Okay, listen, I want you to go find a candy cane and bring it back to the screen. They became run around, okay, here's a candy cane. They have a, a time limit to go do it. We did a, a Thanksgiving uh, sit down where we had like a, 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 not necessarily a dinner table, but we had like a lunch and we could, the students could come in and ask different questions. And it was like a, uh, an open forum for like good communication with the students. Of course, we had to kind of limit that and, and, schedule that out so that we had you know x amount of people on screen at the time we could actually interact with them a little bit better but that's another option a different tool that you can use for your virtual another great one is a, is a tournament have your students record themselves do a, a form a kata the pattern moves that they're working on in class and then have them, you know, maybe they, you know, okay, listen, guys, I want you to do a really good one. So maybe you you check it a couple times and you're like, okay, the, the third one actually was the real best one. So you submit that one for, for, for grading and then they submit that in and you get, you know, to, to watch your students do their form and you get to grade them, okay, A, B, C or, or first, second, third or however, you know, they get a medal or whatever it is. That is a great way to kind of, secretly get, get the students to practice their form, right? Because they're going to have to practice their form. They're going to be doing it at least once so they get the video of it and then they submit them. We get to watch them do that and then they get um, recommended, or not, not recommended, they get, um, what's, the, what's the word? Presented with an with a award or a trophy um, depending on how well they did in their category. Again, just think about, think, try, try to think a little bit outside the box and different ways that you can use a virtual class, that virtual meeting to your advantage to help further that relationship, that connection with your students. It's funny to say connection when speaking about a virtual situation here, but that's what it is. It's, it's, it's to better connect with your students, especially those virtual scavenger hunts. Those are great. My kids uh, did that. Professor Remit uh, uh, led it, and my kids were running around the house trying to find, you know, the, the elf or, you know, all those different. That was so much fun as a family to do. So not just your students, but get the families involved in those things because that will help to bring that connection, not just with that student, but with the family. And once the family is, is in your program, that will be a, all the much better for you and, your, and for your program to have that relationship with them. Teaching virtual classes, like we talked about, certainly are not ideal for martial arts classes. The, the things you can do in a physical class far and away outweigh the things you can do virtually. But as recent times have shown us, we need to have tools at our disposal to still teach your classes, to keep your doors open, so to say, um, keep the lights on, and keep your students interested in martial arts, training, and, and, and coming and, and interacting with you. So having virtual classes, the vir virtual events, now in this day and age are a necessity. If we have, for us, uh, we live in an area where it snows, and we had a couple snow days, and during those snow days, instead of the students just being off, we did virtual classes during those times, just as another way to have that connection, to have those classes so they're not missing out, they still get to do their training. So having those virtual options open for you and your, and your students, your clients, incredibly beneficial. Again, I fully understand not ideal, right? Whatever you think about virtual classes, fine, yep, been there, felt all of those things, got it. But without virtual classes, 
if you didn't teach virtual classes during the pandemic, you weren't making any money unless you had another job because your students aren't going to be paying you to not come. So having some sort of option like that available paid the bills, kept your lights on, kept your students. And now if you're back in person or you soon will be back in person, having that means you don't have to start back at square one when things reopen or when you came back and you've already been back. So virtual classes, unfortunately, while not on an everyday you know, everyday basis, you're not going to be teaching those every day. There perhaps will be a time in the future will, where they'll come back. And having the tools, having those things ready to go will be beneficial so that you're not missing out on students or they're not missing out on their training and you're not missing out on those connections with your students. Now, all that being said, of course, uh, you can find us on the social... You can connect with us you can con- virtually. Ah, you can connect with us virtually. Okay, I like how you type that. I, I was also going to say, I, we could talk for a long time about this um, because it was such a difficult thing for us to overcome and adapt to and, and incorporate. But, you know, as many times we both have said it, we're better off for it as teachers, as a business, and I think our students are better off for it having that availability. So... You know, it's again, it's just another one of those things where you just we need to keep them in mind how we can best service them. And it's not fun. It's not ideal. But again, I think we're better off for it. So this is just one example of one way that you are going to have to overcome these challenges and overcome these obstacles. Um, and hopefully you, you push through and persevere and become better, um, not only personally, but also they'll become better as well. So, uh, yeah, I just I, I, I enjoyed talking about this. I honestly was kind of dreading it because of how much I don't like virtual classes, but I think it's a beneficial conversation for us to have to look back and see how far we've come and how much has benefited us. But also if we can benefit someone else, then um, that's what we're all about is helping the students, but then also talking about what's going on. And, you know, maybe there's people out there who have the virtual experience and they did it differently and it's not as good, or they did it differently and it's even better, but we're just all trying to work together to benefit our students, but also to make us better. So um, I'm, just, I'm just glad we had this, this episode because, again, it wasn't something I look forward to, but I think it's something that we can all uh, take something away from. And I'll tell you what, at the very least, if you have to teach a virtual class, treat it as a workout for yourself because you, you are going to be up and moving around and doing all those things that your students are going to be doing at home anyways. So just go into it with the mindset of, man, today I'm going to get a great workout on teaching these classes. Yes, sir. So, all, again, all that being said, you can connect with us virtually uh, on the on our socials. Uh, we're, we are at MA Teaching Tactics. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Reddit and YouTube. I'm twi- uh, I said Twitter. Facebook. Facebook. Uh-huh. Yep. I, I, every time I forget some. Uh, and, of course, anywhere where podcasts are. Uh, we just recently got onto Apple Music uh, Podcast. So you can check us out on Is there it as well. Apple Music or Amazon? Uh, oh, Amazon. Yep. Right. Yeah. Sorry. We we just recently got on Amazon Music podcast. Uh, I guess it's just Amazon Music, and then there's podcast on there now. Uh, so we're on there, anyways. Uh, so you can check us out, and um, it would be great to hear from you guys. I know some, we have some people that are listening from across the globe, 
We have listeners in Finland and Germany. And if you could, you know, just drop us a line on one of those and just say, hey, you know, we like what you're doing or, hey, this was cool or, you know, whatever, whatever feedback you got, we'd be great. It'd be great to, to hear from you. If you've been paying attention to the last few episodes, he's really curious about the people who are not in our country. So please reach out to him so that he can find some sort of, I don't know, comfort or solace or satisfaction in hearing from you. You know, I, th I just think for, I don't, I don't know how that happened. And so I'm just, I'm genuinely curious on how that happened. Cause it's, we, we, this is our advertisement, this, right? We don't, we don't have, we don't pay for ads or anything like that. So it, I'm, I'm confused on how somehow we are on the other side of the globe in, in Finland. 8% of our listeners are in Finland. I, that's ex extraordinary to me. I don't know how that happened, but cool, awesome, good for you guys that you're picking up hopefully this information and it's benefiting you. So yeah, again, yes, I'm yeah, and, uh, fascinated by it. Yeah, reach out, have us over. We'll come run a seminar in Finland. We can do a virtual seminar. We can do a virtual seminar, yes, sir. Yeah. And then you can share with us some of your your martial arts knowledge too. Yeah, so reach out. We can, we can certainly set that up. But until next time, I'm Chris B. And I'm Chris Kent.